And what's going on? Here we go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Who There's a lot of them here. Amen. Makes it all worth it. This makes being a pastor all worth it. There's a little girl here about second grade. Parents are thinking about joining the congregation. Said, Pastor, I have a question for you. This true story just happened. Mrs. Like, I could retire today and my life would be full. She said, she's second grade. She looks up and completely honestly says to me, Pastor, why don't you have a tabernacle? This is the text, all else is commentary. <laughs> Pastor Nelson very appropriately answered, well, we ate and drank everything Jesus gave us to ate and drank, but then I said, when we get a tabernacle this year, you can be on the committee to help choose it. <laughs> because you know, people like committees. And she seems pure-hearted. So, all right, there we go. Um, hey, give some money. I'm tired of this, okay? Come on, what's going on here? Tend your giving, tell your friends to tend your giving. For some reason, you're too in tune with interest rates and stock market. Just relax, give what you've always given, and then a little bit more. For goodness sakes, you're making an old man out of me. And then, um, you know, kind of everything else sort of kicks along. Here we go, okay? Do I need to boss you about anything else? I'm open. No? Anybody need a marriage straightened out on the spur of the moment? No, I'm available. Or, uh, you know, I, I went to, I did a wedding yesterday and there were like nine attendants on each side. And it was so hopeful, right? It's so hopeful to see. Like, it's just, uh, I mean, people under 30 get a bad rap, man. They want to know. They are interested. They are seeking. They are polite. But they're not going to give you the time of day if you come at it like it's the 1950s. I'm just saying to you. And part of this text today is about not being crabby. In fact, if you're crabby, I'm not even sure you're a Christian. But we'll let Jesus decide, okay? So here we go. This is one of the most beautiful little bits in Scripture. If then our common life, we're all in it together, boys and girls, yields anything, if you could just get one thing right, if there's anything, if there's any reason to come to church, for goodness sakes, make me happy. You all should make me happy. Fill up my cup of happiness by thinking and feeling alike, which is the church is just like every place else. You don't get your way every day of the week. Where else do you go? Even at Walmart, you don't get your way about everything. So, you know, not every price is falling. Let's go. So, you know, by thinking and feeling alike with the same love for one another. Huh, it's so interesting that love is the middle of that because... You know, you thought it was a meeting or a committee somewhere. The same turn of mind. Turn your minds all the same direction. And a common care for unity. How many times can he say to you all, get on the same page? And of course, I just want to be careful here. This is what you shouldn't hear. Some people are better than others. This is what you should hear. Everybody should be pulling on the same end of the rope. And some people have more spiritual moxie and some people got a head start. But you all should be pulling on the same end of the rope. You should be talking and thinking about where this thing is going, and you should all be pulling in the same direction. Not from me. This is from Scripture. Make St. Paul happy. Think alike. Feel alike. Love alike. Have the same mind. Have a common care. Okay, so there you go. Now, um, sometimes I get excited about this because, you know, every once in a while some little girl shows up and asks me where the tabernacle is, and I think to myself, that washes away a multitude of sins. 
And so, you know, I sometimes get going a little bit too fast, so I just tried to give you this bare, very basic thing about why you should go to church. Why in the world should you go to church? Why should other people go to church? Why should all those attendants go to church? Why does anybody need to go to church? Why would you ever miss church? Why, why, why? Here it is. Because Jesus is here, and he loves you, and he's waiting, and he'd like to show you something. All right, that's why you should go to church. That's the first reason. And the next one is, you're dead, but you could be alive, you know, if you want. And once you've been baptized, and there's one at the next service, once you've been baptized, everything changes because life becomes predominant and death, uh, you know, sort of uh, recedes and it gets boundaries around it and it can't really touch you. When you go to baptism, you get your big death with a capital D. You die and rise with Christ, which means your little death, which is the one where they, you know, put you in that urn on the fireplace. When you get to that one, it's not that big a deal because you already had your big one. And so that's why everybody gets excited about what's going on. And that's why the saints at Sabaste can, you know, freeze to death on the lake because, you know, they've been baptized. And so it's all going to work out just fine. Memento mori, right? Go to church because Jesus loves you. Go to church because you get resurrected there. And then you should go to church there because Jesus likes to have a walk. It's like in COVID when, you know, you couldn't go to the gym, but you like to have a walk with your friends. Jesus is calling you up and say, can I get on your schedule at least once a week for things that will make your heart burn and eyes open. So the Holy Eucharist comes to us and Jesus lays himself into your arms the way he laid himself into his mother's arms at his birth and at his death at the manger and at the Pieta, right? So Mary has her hand open and she's tipping Jesus into your lap. She lets you hold her child. It's very nice. There's hardly anything more life-giving than that. And then, of course, we learn to forgive each other, which is almost the hardest thing for us because there's frankly some of you that you don't like, and I know there's about 10% of you that would like to kill me in my sleep if you had the chance. I get it, okay? I understand. But, it, you know, because we're all upfront about it, it's going to work out, okay? So, you know, because instead, you know, we live in forgiveness. And Jesus loves you, so I'm going to love you too. And frankly, Jesus loves me, so get busy. Here I am, awaiting your love. So there you go, right there. Holy absolution. And then this brilliant thing from Minard. It's not for nothing. Love, Jesus, love himself, love incarnate, love himself, gives love, big L, divine love, to us so that we might love in our broken human ways best we can with love, big L, his divine love, right? And for all of that, we're back to living in Thanksgiving, which is why you should give more money. You see, it all comes back to the cash. You see, right? to make sure that you knew that. No, you, so you live in gratitude for all that, you, all that you said, right? I mean, this is, look, I mean, I know, I, you know, I'm a linear thinking. Once my, one of my daughters said to me, the best thing you ever did for me was to think, the best thing you ever did for me was to teach me to think in a straight line, which I was like, hmm. Well, I, hopefully there was something better than that, but that's near <laughs> the top of the list which is, 
that you can think in a straight line from A to B to C to D. So, you know, you get these long things like you did last week of, because I'm interested in every step. You know, how this could possibly happen to anybody. Well, so I shorten up the line, which is, you figure out that Jesus loves you, and it's hard for people to love you. So that Jesus would love you makes you humble, right? That's where humility comes from. That he loves you, which means you are in need. So when you're in need, you're not independent, you're dependent, you're contingent on somebody else. You don't have the agency you thought you had. Jesus, when Jesus comes to you and loves you and makes everything new, your only proper response is to say, thank you very much, and then to walk with him or to go to the Eucharist or to give him all you've got or to have a common mind or pick how you want to talk about obedience, but pick it for goodness sakes. You people are getting older. Even you people are getting older. And you should, you know, pay attention because one of the great wastes of life is that your life never comes into the obedience to Christ. You're never pressed into his image, right? You never become an imitator. As Paul says, imitate me the way I imitate Christ. It's not just enough to, to go to heaven. It's like the bare minimum. Nothing in the church happens at the bare minimum. If you're living at the bare minimum, you're all but lost, Right? Your life is all but wasted. It has nothing to do with that, almost nothing to do with that. And I'm going to show you uh, why it doesn't. So I'm turning the page at number two. This beautiful text from Philippians. Paul had a lot of churches. A lot of the churches did not work. Corinthians, for example, you know. He wrote two letters, and maybe there's a third one out there somewhere where he basically had to said, you got everything wrong, you know, again and again. But this beautiful letter from Philippians. Now, what's really interesting is that Paul's in prison. This is an old congregation that he started. And, you know, I'm sure he's looking for some consolation. And it's like anything, when you're suffering, of course, there's troubles that you have to engage. But occasionally you get this chance to rejoice in something that actually works, right? It actually, it actually worked which is how he writes this. This is so beautiful. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, Jesus, to God's holy people in Christ Jesus of Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. We'll have to come back to that. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And we kind of always just kind of brush that off like that's no thing. But the kindest thing you could say to somebody is grace and peace to you from Christ, from God our Father. All right, this goes along with, if you give me a million dollars, I will leave and go start a church in the city. I will stand vested on the sidewalk behind this beautiful place that you will furnish that'll look, you know, roughly like an abandoned Orthodox prayer chapel. And all day long, I'll stand and pray with people on the street and that thing will explode. And for people who won't pray, and this is for you too, you can just ask to bless them. Because even if I met people who are pagan or twisted or whatever, often they won't pray. That's too dangerous because they have this subtle sense that prayer could change them and they don't want to be changed. But almost anybody will let you bless them. You test and see. Right? You test and see. So he blesses grace and peace to you from God our Father. I thank God every time I think about you. 
or actually he used the word which I've been trying to get you to use, which is remember. I thank God every time I remember you. Every time I call you to mind, I thank God that I know you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. You should be thinking right now, if there's even one person in your life that you know like this, and if you don't know one person in your life like this, you should find somebody like this. You should find somebody in your life that every time you call them to mind, it's joy. And that you pray for them spontaneously. There's nothing else you can do, but thank God that you knew them. I thank God because of your partnership in the gospel, because we're compadres, right? From the first day till now, being confident, and this is actually what we've talked about, about hope, welcoming the future, or faith, agreeing with Jesus, the confidence that Jesus is for me and not against me, that he who began a good work in you, let's get busy, stop wasting time, will carry it on to completion all the way until the day of Jesus, which is to say all the day until A, you die, or B, Jesus comes back with angels. One of those two things. So that you would get started now and you would be faithful every second of every day from now till then. Right? Get busy. So, um, it's right for me to feel this way, right? And I, just for you, you know, German Lutherans, it's right for him to actually engage his heart and to show some emotion and feel good about them, and that's actually okay. <laughs> Since I have you in my heart, right? Um, that great Warren Zabon song that he wrote before he, he found he was going to die from a disease he should have never had at a young age, Keep Me in Your Heart. It's, ah, every once in a while I sneak it into the margin comments. You know, close to you is the buttons on your blouse. It's just... So, whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share community, God's grace with me. Right? Grace is... Mercy applied to misery. We're all in the same boat, friends. And so that mercy is shared among us. God can tell you. He can testify. You can ask God how long I've loved you. God can testify with you about the affection of Christ Jesus. So, you know, what's going on here, right? Um, there's a couple things. Paul, who is an apostle, he saw, God, he saw Jesus face to face on the Damascus Road, that great Caravaggio, if you... You know, you leave the Pantheon in Rome, you turn left at the McDonald's, you turn right at the French church, you go inside, you keep an extra euro, you drop it in, and there's the Caravaggio of Paul on the Damascus Road, right across from the Caravaggio of Matthew being called, right? Two of the greatest paintings you'll ever see. It's like, you, you can't believe it, right? That they're, they're across from each other, and, and it just is it's startling, right? So, you know, Paul's doing the best he can. We're all in it together. Timothy and I, we are douloi, which, you know, now the popular thing is to have a doula at birth, right? That's, this is the Greek word. Doula is slave, servant, right? So we're slaves, we're your slaves, and you're saints, you're holy, which is um, a thing that you should be able to say about everybody else who's baptized, that you love them because Jesus loves them, that you forgive them because Jesus forgives them, that when the Heavenly Father looks at you, he sees Christ. 
He doesn't see anything that you've done wrong. He thinks you're perfect, just like your husband thinks you're perfect. It's exactly the same. It's just like that. It's totally the same thing, right? You're hagios. You're the hallowed. You're holy. This is, you know, this is, this is technical language for people who get chosen by God. This is the language for people with whom God lives, right? Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Jesus loves you. He's with you. He sticks with you. He walks with you on Emmaus. He puts himself in his arms. He brings you a pillar, pillar, pillar of fire so you don't get lost in the dark, right? And this is the language for people who have been baptized. And then this very interesting bit, you know, Christ Jesus. We get sometimes Jesus Christ, sometimes Christ Jesus. It depends on the point that they want to make. But Christ, the Messiah, the one from God who was baptized, on whom the heavenly the Holy Spirit descended and made him the servant of God and anoint, uh, announced him as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies, right? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, Christ. That Jesus, born of Mary, called his name Jesus, the angel says to Joseph, because he'll save people from their sins. So Paul is saying the Messiah who came to the cross to save us that's the one I'm talking about right here. And he's for you and for me. Now the best Paul can do, and you should easily translate this to the best your pastor can do, is to hand over what Jesus handed over. And so often in modern scholarship, you know, you get this thing where you say, that's just Paul, right? Or Paul was having a moment. Well, I mean, you don't really understand how rabbis work when you say that. There's technical terms in Greek, Paralambano and paradidomai, what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you. In fact, those are the two verbs that are used just before. Um, Paul gives us the words of institution for the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians. What I received from the Lord, I passed on to you. That, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. It's not Paul talking. That's Jesus talking through Paul. And same here. The, a, good, a good rabbi passes on what he learned from his teacher. So I'm the sum of my teachers, as are many of you. If you can think for a moment now, just for a, I can identify in my own life three seminal teachers that I had, you know, um, two as an undergraduate and, you know, one in graduate school who literally changed the course of my life. I mean, just one was about excellence in teaching. One was about how to think, and one was about who Jesus was. It was, I mean, those three things together. I can just tell you that you know, it changed the course of my life, right? That's what you're meant to do. And if you need to be taught, and I have, um, you know, I was somebody, some young hippie, uh, you know, analyzed my teaching style who gave me this thing like, yeah, nobody does this anymore. I'm like, does what? Stands up and talks in front of people. I'm like, really? What do they do? Well, they let the people talk among themselves. I said, really? You can get paid for that? You can get people in a room. You don't have to prepare. And you just sort of say to people, could you talk among yourselves? And then you say things like, oh, that was very good. Well, oh, you're so open. That's wonderful. I hope you have a good day. And I'll pick up my check at the door. What? It's like you saw the guy, I mean, lack of political commentary here because you can't see the whole thing, but you saw the organic professor, organic chemistry professor at NYU who got fired this week because he was too hard. And, you know, his response was, if you're going to be my doctor, I think you should know organic chemistry. 
But 80 of his 500 students signed a petition and NYU fired him for making his class too hard. Don't go to any of them as doctors. But you can do what you want, because you're free, right? But I'm staying with somebody who got an A in chemistry, Emma. So, you could be my new doctor, because I know you got an A in chemistry. So I gave you this, you know, Paul the Apostle. Uh, he saw Jesus face to face and he got his goods there. But then I just want to um, go to a couple of words if you turn the page that Lutherans get all tied in knots about. And so I, you know, there's so many translations. I gave you an unfavorable translation here because I, wa I wanted to use it for a better translation later and I didn't want to get it all crossways, but this word, you know, episcopos and episcopate, the word for bishops, you know, and Luther, you know, Lutherans get hives about this, and you kind of like, only American Lutherans, all the other Lutherans are fine. You know, I think Lipkin comes and wonders why everybody else doesn't have a mitre. You just kind of go, well, you know, we don't understand things. But, I mean, there's the word, um, you know, greetings to your bishop and to your pastor, right? So this is way back. But that's to all God's holy people at Philippi, together with your bishop and your pastor. Hmm, what could that possibly mean? Well, first, always the, the, always the scriptures, right? Episcopos is the word for when God visits his people. You kind of go, yeah, but we weren't talking about God. And then you'd say, yeah, precisely. Um, Jesus went to heaven and he left pastors behind and bishops behind. And when the bishop shows up, he's Jesus to you. Now, this is not different than when you're Jesus to each other, as, as Luther says, right, we're little Christ to each other. But, you know, Jesus, as it says, and I gave you the text there in, Saint, in, in Peter, Jesus is the shepherd and episcopus of our soul. Jesus is the one who watches over my soul. So when you think nobody loves you and you're all alone, First, you should say this to yourself. You should say, huh, there I go being dumb again. And then you should memorize this text. Um, I think I've given it to you here. 1 Peter 2.25. Jesus is the episcopos and shepherd. He's the good shepherd and the overseer of my souls. Jesus, keep an eye on your soul. And frankly, for you who have kids, Jesus, is keep an eye on your children's soul as well. And if you have bad parents, Jesus got an eyeball on them too. So um, what does it mean to have a bishop? It means to have somebody who will visit you and help you. Not unlike those three professors who changed my life. Not unlike you are if you're a good parent. Not unlike your pastor is if your pastor is any good at all, right? Your pastor is meant to visit, your bishop's meant to visit you, your pastor's meant to visit you and be Christ to you. And of course, you're meant to make it easy on your bishop, right? Your, 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 your bishop comes as a slave, you return the favor as a child of God, right? It works in this way. It's like every family, right? If you love your kids and your kids love you, it works. And if you don't love your kids or your kids don't love you, Thanksgiving's gonna be tense again this year. But what I'm trying to press you toward is the possibility that you can have something wonderful, which is the reason that you're here. So, I mean, it all comes together. You go to church, you hear Jesus, he talks in your ears, he gives you his body and blood, he walks with you, he explains everything, 
He makes you humble. He changes you into himself and he sends you out 47 minutes later and then there's somebody standing in front of you at the coffee pot. <laughs> so hard to be a Christian. And you should give more money in case I didn't mention that. Okay, so, um, and then this second word, diakonos, which is even um, more difficult because we talk about deacons and it gets translated. It's so interesting, you know, different translators, different ways. So you get whoever translated this, you know, he would say overseer, but he wouldn't say bishop. And he'll say deacon, but he won't say pastor. And you kind of go, uh, you know, how does that work? And that's, you know, why you need, you know, somebody around who knows a little Greek, you know, Kendall or Nelson, somebody who's just been here. And the vicar knows his Greek and his Hebrew too. So um, I give you under the, just kind of scooch down under diakonos to the last line. It's the most beautiful thing from 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who enabled me or equipped me or empowered me or inspirited me that he counted me faithful and that's going to completely be the gift of God. So he could easily say there that he sent me the Holy Spirit or that he really loved me or that he taught me to agree with him or that he gave me faith and that he led me along in obedience and stuck with me. I thank him for, and then this exact quote, for putting me into the ministry. So this is why you have, you know, voters meetings, or this is why I pass. You have this thing called the ministry. Jesus filled it, but then he decided to move back to a condo on the beach in heaven, next to his heavenly father, right? Don't worry, he's building more condos. That's in John's gospel. In the meantime, he's left the office behind. What is the office? The office is the delivery of um, scriptures, baptism, and the Holy Supper. Now, I'm going to disappoint our championship softball team and our championship dartball team. You guys should just grip the bottom of your chairs right now because this is not going to be easy. But I'm, I'm near retirement, and if you fire me now, it's not going to make that much difference. So here's the thing. <laughs> Neither softball nor dartball is a ministry. And by the way, there's not a car wash ministry, nor is there we're selling greens for Christmas ministry. It's just, it's a, that's not what it is. And in the Lutheran Confessions, God bless them. The word ministry is always singular. There's never the word ministries, plural, in the Lutheran Confessions. Right? There's one ministry. It is the touch of word and sacrament. The ministry of Jesus Christ means you take word and sacrament, you size up the victim, and you touch them appropriately depending on what they need. And Paul says, I'm very glad that Jesus selected me to be the person to put the touch on people. That's what it means to have the ministry. That's what it means to be a pastor. If your pastor is preoccupied with other things, he's unfaithful. And if you don't give your pastor enough time to do those things, you're unfaithful. I once said to somebody here, this is 10 or 15 years ago, I wonder what the congregation would do if I took an hour or two every morning and prayed for you. This is a serious question. And the person replied, that might be a nice thing for you to do in retirement. Now, what I pray is that same person heard, that may have been the best sermon Pastor Nelson has ever given, 
except that I did tell him to give it more slowly so I can keep up with him. But that was genius today, right? This is utter genius. So, you know, I thank God that he put me into the ministry. So your bishop's job, the task of a bishop, is to come and visit you divinely to bring Jesus and put him to you, right? Uh, he's there to care for you and watch over. Now I've turned the page, and best what he can give you would be two things, grace and peace. These are among the primary gifts he gives you. So, um, what's so great is, you know, we, we think we know what grace is, right? We think we have it all done. Grace is this robust word. But among the things that it means, like just look at this. In secular Greek, charis, grace, is what? Now think about this, because you don't think about grace this way, nor do I. Grace is what delights you what charms you, right? What causes joy and bestows beauty. Think of right now a person or a place or a meal or a great bottle of wine or for some of you, an orange muscle car that brings great joy to your heart, right? You're beginning to understand what grace means. Grace is a thing that just to be in its presence, to feel it, taste it, touch it, experience it, is to be charmed, delighted, to be made beautiful. The ultimate delivery of grace is the thing that picks you up from death and moves you into life, baptism, right? Or the Holy Supper, where Mary says to you, uh, you shall, my son, I've, I've been carrying him a long time and it's been glorious, you should carry him too. It'll change your life carrying him along, right? That is the definition of grace. And because that, it um, does good things. Uh, the last paragraph there, holiness comes by grace. It's expressed in love. It's sealed by a kiss. You know, another thing I'd like to get straightened out here before I go here is we've gone from uh, nothing to how about those cubs to good morning to the difference between the Lord be with you. But I tell you what, before I go here, I should just come and kiss every one of you on the lips right before the Holy Supper. And only then can we go on. Because that's in the scriptures. Well, I thought you believed the scriptures. But if you don't, we can carry on the way we're doing it. I just, I can't do everything at once, okay? So, you know, just, just a possibility here. The kiss of peace. It's, it's, you can look it up. It's in the Bible. There it is. So, right? Because, of course, you're vulnerable when you kiss someone, even in, in the Middle Eastern way, of course. I don't know what you were thinking about, you know. Or make a friend who's French, right? But then just try to figure out, what, do, do the French go right and then left, or is it the Greeks who go left and then right? It's so hard to remember. But um, what does Paul bring people? He brings people grace, the most delightful thing in the world, which is the presence of God the beauty of Jesus on the altar, the forgiveness of your sins, and life everlasting. And because of that, you walk and calm down. Irene, peace, right? Shalom, the peace of Eden. Because you know what? Once you're forgiven, once you have grace, there's no rub between you and God, and there's no rub between you and anybody else. And there's even no rub between you and you. The woman caught in adultery, where are people that condemn you? Nowhere, Lord, 
to which Jesus says, just be sure that you go home loving yourself. Because it's not just about the other people, and it's not just about me, it's that you can finally square up with yourself and get comfortable in your own skin, right? And so then Paul prays for them with joy, right? Uh, and I, you know, I've kind of alluded to this, I'm at point number six, but you know, I just, I wish for you one person. I can, I can think of a couple of people who, um, I got a couple of people in my head who, if I'm uh, quite nervous or anxious about something, I, just the image of their face makes me laugh, right? I, got, I, I know one or two people who are so hilarious that just the, you know, just the image of their face changes everything. You need to meet a person like that in the same way somebody, it could be a father or mother or brother, sister that loves you so that you, you know, just to be in their presence, to shake their hand, to like sit in an airplane seat with them or, you know, to go to the beach and just like chat or maybe be quiet sort of brings you that everything is okay sense. This is what he's talking about here. But of course, again, he's talking about it as divinely because why? It didn't come from us. It came from the koinonia, code word for the Lord's Supper, the community, the common life, the koinonia, the eating and drinking. It's all the same word, and it's meant to be all the same word, so you'll have all those feels at the same time. That's the reason it's, it's, it's put together the way it is, because your life isn't one-dimensional, kind of just, you know, flat-lined, laconic, just what you can see. It's rich and robust, and did you taste that? Did you see that? What about that over there, right? Which is why, you know, you can have, you know, just check the margin comments today. You can have Luther to Merton to, uh, hey, if there weren't second chances, we'd all be alone, right? So... Paul prays for them with joy. And then this is the last thing I want to do, and this may be the most important thing. Everything else was prelim for this. I mean, this is just such the beauti most beautiful, right? And partly I do this because it appeals to you naturally, because you're accomplished people, you live in a western suburb, you push really hard, and I don't mean this, I mean this with admiration. You want what's best, comes to you naturally. And then look at this, this is how, this is why I favored this translation because the other ones aren't quite so good. This is my prayer. So when Paul gets up in the morning and he prays for you, and he does, and the reason you know he's praying for you is because Jesus is praying for you and the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And so Paul does what Jesus does and the Holy Spirit does for you, which means Pretty much everybody in present in heaven is praying for you right now. So on the days when you say nobody loves me and nobody talks to me, nobody thinks about me and I'm all alone, the text. This is my prayer. This is what I hope, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and insight so that you can discern what's best. Now what I'm going to do is do this back to front. So the goal is that you could have what's best, you know, not in the kind of hashtag best life, but in the sense of what really, really matters. If, if the genie was out of the bottle and you could pick one thing, what is that one thing that you would pick? What is best? And this is very almost clinical 
in how you can discover what's best, right? This is not beyond any of you, and it's not beyond me, even though sometimes by looking at us, you would go, yeah, not sure. So the word for eight, the assignment takes a scale and a sieve and a brain and a spirit. So sometimes people ask about discernment, and you know, sometimes Christians talk about it as this mystical thing where if you can get in the woods long enough and not talk to anybody, it'll all work out. Yeah, maybe, okay. But how Paul talks about it is, I mean, not that going to the woods wouldn't kill any of you. It'd probably be good for you, um, you know. Um, I was at a wedding last night, and I was trying to explain the difference between my wife and I. So I'm in a room with 200 people, and, you know, it's pounding, as weddings do. And I said to the, you know, father of the bride, um, you know, the difference between my wife and I is, I said to, I was making my apologies. It's a school night for me. I got to be up early for church tomorrow. They're going to... I got a lot cooking, and I, so I can't, you know, can't stay late and, you know, dance with you, which I'm sure is what you want. So I said, you know, I have to be going home early. It was a long drive. And I said, the difference between my wife and I is I said, I need to go home. I said, I'm tired. It's been a long day. We've been, I need to go home and be quiet by myself. On the other hand, my wife would need to find another wedding bigger than this one right now. <laughs> People are different, Val. So, um, <laughs> how do you figure out what's best? How do you discern what is best? A regular question for people. How do I figure it out, right? Well, you have a good think about it. As Nagel would say, you put your baptized brain to it, right? Now turn the page. What is best, right? So you, it's not best is what pleases you. I was at a resort once in Jamaica and I came down to the concierge. Every morning would say, what pleases you today? Like, this question doesn't seem right. Is my pietism showing through. Three or four days in, I was fabulous with that question. But, uh, you know, this isn't a question. Ah. Um, because some of you say, I talk too much, that's why. Okay, so really quickly, you know, what's best? It's the word for what stands out. What is unequivocally better than anything else? What's essential? What's superior? What differentiates itself? What's worthy? There's all kinds of ways to get at that, right? And Paul's praying, that's what you would have. Three things, right? And I'm going to just give them to you in three words. Love obedience, and maturity. So if you want what's best in your life, you chase divine love, divine obedience, and divine maturity. Here they are. Agape, like not falling in love kind of love, although that's fabulous. Not friendship love. I've made my apology for that already. But the unselfish love of Christ. Luther would say, what's the gospel? I don't know, whatever bears Christ. It's a great definition, right? What's the gospel? What bears Christ? So to love people as a disposition, not individually, piecemeal, one by one, some people and not other people, the, the love of God's heart is the gracious disposition towards all of us in spite of us. So that's the first thing, that we love the way God loves. But then second, that you would have this deep insight and frankly, it boils down to the very first thing that we talked about, which is holiness. Deep insight in the scriptures is the ability to tell the difference between what is true and false, what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. 
It's that simple. If you want what is best in your life, you start with love, and then next, you distinguish between what's good and what's evil. The text for this wedding last night chosen by the bride and groom was Romans 12, 9. Abhor, abhor what's evil, cling to what's good. Touch good, don't touch evil. Secret of life, right? And the secret of best, and the secret of wisdom. Love and sift, think, discriminate, sieve, sort, so that you can tell what's true and what's not, what's good and what's evil. And then the last thing is, you keep going. You practice. How do you get good at something? You know, Malcolm Gladwell, do it 10,000 times. How do you get good at something? You practice, right? You practice at it. You, pra you tell the truth and you don't tell lies, right? You embrace things that are good and you flee things that are evil. You want, what? You want your best possible life, right? Love, obey, and keep going. There you go. And if you do that, you'll come to a light, uh, number 10, a life that is pure as sunshine and blameless, neither giving or taking offense. You can do the rest on your own. This is not difficult. It's not difficult to understand. It is difficult to execute. Execute, right? Execute. This is what Jesus prays for. This is what Paul prays for. This is what the church is meant for. This is what builds a congregation. This is what gives you a common life. This is what gives you love and doesn't leave you alone. This is what keeps you together and doesn't alienate each other. This is what takes you where you're supposed to be. This is what you get so your life isn't wasted. This is why you can die in peace because you did what the Lord asked you to do. Please do that. Got to pray, got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom. Teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.